Hello and welcome to What a Scream, the horror movie podcast where I, your host, Egraine, chats with a special guest every week about horror films. And in particular, we chat about a certain subject or topic that I've previously randomly chosen. And we discuss two films that have to do with that subject. So this week is something a little bit different. Um, the subject is should be a horror. So that is films that aren't necessarily classed within the genre of horror, but they're still pretty horrific. So this week, my guest is James Rodriguez, and together we are discussing two films that we feel kind of come under the umbrella of horror, but are kind of classed as something else. So the very first film we're talking about is Terminator from 1990, no, not even 1990, 1984. Uh, this is a sci-fi film, but my guest James felt that it was more horror. And then my pick for this week is the 2018 Lords of Chaos film, which is based on the life of Euronymous from the band Mayhem. Um, I have previously also done a Movies, Murder and Mayhem episode on this film and the true story behind it, so check that out if you want to hear more. And enjoy my chat with James Rodriguez about films that should be a horror. I would like to welcome to the Water Screen podcast, James Rodriguez. How are you? Hi, Egraine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. As I just said, it's the weekend here, so I'm like in full party mood, although not too much because I'm a mom. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so would you like to introduce yourself to listeners of the podcast and tell them a little bit about what you do? Sure, I'm a I'm a film critic. I write reviews for sites such as um, Bloody Good Screen, um, Moving Pictures Film Club, and I also write reviews at my own website, The Reviewing Rodders. And I'm a podcast guest for whoever will have me. So, <laughs> hint, hint, anybody out there? I'm <laughs> <Exactly>. free. <laughs> <laughs> hit you up yes we have moving pictures film club in common because i'm also a contributor to there um mm. tim coleman is fantastic at gathering all these voices that can contribute to the community of horror film critics um so how did you first get into horror and do you remember the first horror film you ever saw yes i do it's a story i like to roll out um <laughs> i remember the exact time it i well, I say exact, I don't know, I think I was six or seven, I round about that time, but I remember it was summer holidays, and there was just one point where my parents had gone to sleep, and I just crept downstairs to turn on the TV, I can't remember, it's just something I did, it's just, I can't sleep, let's see mm. what's on TV when the world is dark, and... I seem to remember the TV listing so, saying there was this Bruce Willis film on called Blind Date. When I turned it on, it was not that. It was A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. <laughs> Specifically, the scene where that kid is getting puppeteered through his veins. Yeah. Which oh, dear. I just remember, nope. I turned it off, I went back up, and then I was just like, 
let's let's just give it one more look. Then I went back <laughs> down, turned on, back to the bit where Freddy's like, "Welcome to prime time, bitch," and I just watched it right to the end from there. And I hadn't seen that film for oh god until until about 2019, close to 15 years, I'd say. And but scenes of that had stuck in my mind, and just when I was playing it watching it again on a rewatch it was just like this is so much like i remember it and it was just fascinating but since then i've always had an interest in horror with i uh, remember early films were like blade the thing when buffy the thing when i was much closer to the age i should see it <laughs> didn't see that at seven or anything like that at least yeah. but, and do you think Sorry, do you think that your um, kind of experience at such a young age kind of formed you into the adult you are today? I'm not sure. I mean, it certainly got me interested in horror as interested in a kind of forbidden fruit in a way. I do wonder if I would have been if I seen those films when I was closer to the correct age the BBFC mm. would like me to be when I watch those films. <laughs> yeah, I see, I, I I always find it absolutely fascinating when people say they watch their first horror film at like six or seven because mm. I didn't actually see my first like proper full-on horror experience until I was like in my teenager kind of years because my parents like banned me from watching mm. any sort of scary thing because my imagination was wild enough as it is so my horror kind of origin story was very much through stories folk tales um witches ghosts all that kind of thing um and I didn't formulate that into like a horror movie love until I was a, in a teenager mm. um so I'm always really wondering to see how perhaps psychologically it affects people differently from how they're ex like what age they're exposed at hmm. I see what you mean I mean I will say any fucked up things about me are not down to me watching <laughs> horror films there's various other factors rather than a particular genre. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with that, yeah. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> um, this week's uh, subject is quite an unusual one. Mm. Um, it is should be a horror. So, films that aren't necessarily categorised as the horror genre, but people can watch them and still find horrific details about them um so what did you think when i first approached you with this topic well i thought that it was an interesting idea certainly not a typical idea for films and in all honesty my one of my earliest thoughts was the oscars and the way mm. how they put up films which we would happily call horror up for mm. oscars but call it anything but like yeah. Get Out was a social thriller, Silence of the Lambs psychological thriller. Yeah, anything but calling it <gasps> horror, yeah. as though that's a makes it lesser just because it's a different term. It's yeah. fascinating, and honestly, yeah. I mean, even with the Sixth Sense, mm. they called that a supernatural thriller, and it's like, do you mean a horror? That is literally the definition of horror. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, they seem so like just they don't want to attach 
the the label of horror to anything it's either like a psychological thriller or it's a drama why do you think they're so kind of aghast by this idea of horrors um snobbery is the first thing that comes to mind as Mm. though it's demeaning themselves to give an award or even nominate something that's proudly horror uh, as if come on you're the Oscars. You've embarrassed yourselves in so many more ways, particularly at the last ceremony. Mm-hmm. But God forbid you celebrate the wide spectrum of films that cinema can offer. Exactly. And it's it's like horror is such an art form. Like I'm totally biased. Absolutely. Mm. But horror is such an art form because it elicits physical um, and psychological responses from an audience. You know, they don't just go in and say, oh, that's a nice film. They go in and they physically react to it. And to have that sort of an influence on a viewer, like that is a pure art form. And even like special effects, storylines, script writing in horror. I mean, yes, you get the dodgy ones, like, yeah. you know, don't get us wrong. But that's the same in any genre. Hmm. But like, no, I just, I don't understand it myself. Um, and I, I hope it changes, but I can't see it changing. No, as much as I do want... Um more horrors to be rightfully recognized and loved for what they are i think there'd have to be a radical overhaul for that Mm -hmm. to be the case i mean it was a modern miracle get out got even nominated but again social thriller Uh, yeah uh, there's been fantastic performances over the past few years which have been unfortunately snubbed tony collette lupita nyongo i'm looking Mm -hmm. in your direction yeah Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the fact that Lupita Nyong'o played two characters, basically, you know, <laughs> she still wasn't given uh, a nomination is disgusting. And Tony Collette in Hereditary was just, holy shit, like, <laughs> is the way to, to describe it. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, begin with your choice for this episode. Would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis, please? Yes, so my choice is a little film from 1984, you might have heard of it, The Terminator, (laughs) from director James Cameron. The story, let's say it's simple, there's a cyborg assassin known as a Terminator travels back to 1984 to kill a woman called Sarah Connor because her her unborn son is destined to lead the final resistance of humanity humanity against the supercomputers and robots who have taken over a... and created a post a post uh, I'm gonna get words out. <laughs> a post apocalyptic future. Well done. <laughs> I struggle with that as well. <laughs> as I said before we came on, this was actually my first watch of Terminator because mm. I am not really into that sci-fi kind of stuff. Um, but I knew about it. Obviously, everyone knows it is the film that made Arnold Schwarzenegger like the biggest action movie star of the time. Um, And it also kind of cemented James Cameron's um, uh, place as a legendary director almost. Um, So why did you choose it as a should be a horror film? Well, there was something interesting I heard on the Evolution of Horror podcast um, not that long ago where someone described The Terminator as essentially being a sci-fi version of John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm. And since I heard that, it's just like mind blown. I can't unsee that. So I just thought, well, let's get, that sounds like a perfect way to test a theory. 
and yeah. re-watching the film, all I could think about was how Arnold's unflinch, unmoving face, his unflinching calmness, it just felt so much like Michael Myers. Mm. And, I mean, essentially, Arnold's face captured what Michael Myers's mask does in those films. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... It, yeah, it's got the same level of tension. It just happens to have a futuristic um, bent in the backstory. And he uses a gun instead of a knife. But mm. all slasher villains have that one tool they, yeah. uh, that defines them. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I was, I was reading the backstory about Terminator. And James Cameron had originally written it as a slasher. Mm. But um, the, the studios were like, yeah, we're not really into that. So he kind of went back, rewrote it as this sci-fi kind of action story. Um, and he was super influenced by John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, and even like when I was watching it, there's... <laughs> There's a part where the Terminator, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, plucks out his eye to get his little red laser eye, and even it's it's completely prosthetics. Like you could, I mean, it's of the time. The effects, <laughs> like let's say, that. but he's the head they've used actually looks like Michael Myers' mask. Did you yes. notice that? Yes, that was fascinating. Yeah, the influences are really clear in this. Uh, yeah, uh, especially when. The T eight hundred has the, goes into Sarah Connor's apartment and murders her friend and her friend's boyfriend. It mm. just reminded me so much of Bob and Linda's unfortunate yeah. end in Halloween. It mm. was just f so fascinating, and yeah. it makes it all the more interesting when the sequels have taken on a more leaned in more to that action mm. um, action sci fi element that the studios wanted. And it's yeah, it's just fascinating how this one feels right in the franchise while also so different in that yeah. way i mean it, it pretty much follows the slasher prototype as you said we've got this kind of faceless killer with a mask basically on um stalking these women because he's trying to find the right sarah connor killing everyone that comes in his path and we have sarah connor as the final girl who yes. ultimately has to face off against him to protect herself. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's basically um, Halloween with added guns. Mm. <laughs> and you've got Carl Reese's rightfully influential dialogue about how the Terminator cannot be bargained with, it doesn't mm. feel pity or remorse, it won't stop until she's dead. That sounds like something that would have been lifted from like a Halloween sequel or Friday exactly. the 13th film. Yeah. And as we know through the sequels, obviously the Terminator in some form returns, which mm. is exactly like the killers that you cannot kill. They will always come back. <laughs> yes, and this film does it really well, playing on the idea of, oh, there's always one last scare, or, oh, you think you've taken him down, but no, mm. he's still coming and he's going to get rid of the mentor slash love interest. And yeah. they key that in really well by having it being an unstoppable metal skeleton with mm. with the same singular expression like Arnie's face or Michael Myers' mask has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And another aspect of it that I was kind of like, yeah, that's, that feels really horror is the body horror element 
of mm. it. Uh, there's a sequence where the Terminator has to repair his hand, so he like slices his arm open, and it's all biological. There's blood, there's skin, but underneath there's the uh, the the metal skeleton basically that he has to fix, and it's this like biomechanical body horror at this point and of course we've already mentioned the eye and i saw a lot of um things that could have inspired and influenced stuff like tetsuo the iron man where we've got this kind of biomechanical meets body horror um and yeah it was really funny that i just got this flash of like oh my god that's tetsuo like and i'd love to think that the terminator influenced tetsuo the iron man i'd love to think that i hope so (laughs) It's possible. I mean, that Terminator was a global phenomenon, especially Mm. with kickstarting this massive franchise. So you never know. It could have been. Yeah. Um, So why do you think the Terminator was so successful? Um, Well, I think it was this fantastic idea. And it was just executed so very well. It just seemed like it was... Um, just seemed like it was the perfect way. F- it's as though James Cameron had this one chance to make his name at this point to build himself as a filmmaker to watch. And he just poured everything into this film, all these ideas, all these elements so fantastically captured. Mm. And he just really did it well. And yeah. I also think there's a bit of everything, something for everyone. We have the horror elements which mm-hmm. us horror fans can lean into there's the action elements for the people who want to say a fun friday night film there's the romance elements between carl reese and sarah connor as that goes on and which i think they sell really well i think mm-hmm. there's just something which feels universal in its own way yeah i mean it was a huge box office success it grossed mm. like 78 million um dollars um and the funny thing is Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was actually in the middle of filming Conan the Barbarian when James Cameron wanted him to come and film The Terminator. And he was like, it's just a silly film. You know, he was really dismissive of The Terminator, really like, <laughs> oh, it won't be successful. And then it literally made him the biggest movie star of that decade. Um Another thing I find really funny about The Terminator is that he comes back from the year 2029, which is in seven years time. <laughs> you're like "Eh, we're not that evolved (laughs) it's just hilarious how like in the 80s they thought 2029 was going to be super futuristic (laughs) that that's right in and also blade runner when they have that fantastic vision of 2019 (laughs) yeah and here we are three years later and all we have is of shit supermarkets (laughs) and uh, the aftermath of a pandemic yeah Uh, not the future these 80s auteurs could have predicted really exactly um so would you recommend the terminator to horror fans absolutely i think if you've um especially if you like slasher films and Mm. well really good films i would definitely recommend this um it's actually my favorite 80s slasher in all honesty Mm. Okay, yeah, I guess, like, you could kind of put it in, like, the 80s slasher genre, which Mm. is really interesting, and plus, I'd recommend it to horror fans, especially slasher horror film fans, because 
I mean, during the 80s, we got such a tidal wave of generic slashers that followed the same formula. Um, But it's taking that slasher formula and putting it into a completely different situation. And I think that's really interesting. Kind of the same way that Alien did it as well. Mm. They took the slasher formula and put it in space. Well, this one's putting it into like a post-apocalyptic situation. Um, So yeah, I kind of, despite me not being like, the biggest fan of it mm. and this subgenre as a whole, I definitely would recommend it to slasher fans. It's funny how with the, uh, you mentioned alien with alien mm. and the Terminator, James Cameron comes for the sequel and turns <laughs> it on its head for a lot more of an action yeah. heavy tint on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've, it's been a long time since I've seen aliens, but I do remember mm. it being less horror, more action. Um, so yeah, it's, I do agree with you. It's kind of funny that James Cameron, because apparently he's quite a big horror fan. So like, Hmm. it's kind of funny how he decided to go the opposite route with aliens. Um, So any other thoughts on the Terminator that you'd like to discuss? Um, I, (laughs) I don't, I, I, I suppose one little thing, it's just Mm -hmm. the idea of that scene at the end in the final act, when you've got, Arnie driving that massive truck, it's bearing down on Carl and Sarah. It feels like the perfect metaphor for what they've been going through all this film and the, how much of a massive undertaking their little bit in essentially stopping the future from changing so drastically and stopping an unkillable machine that towers above them. It just feels like a nice bit of <laughs> visualising what the film's been about. Yeah. And do you reckon that that sequence, as you said, it was kind of like a symbolism of what the film's about, Mm. that as a whole, the film kind of represents that anybody could be, you know, the saviour of the world. You know, it doesn't have to be like a billionaire or a high class politician or, you know, someone with superpowers. It could just be a waitress. Well, now you put it that, yeah, that does feel like a... Cause it especially interesting how it's a subversion on the chosen one narrative because mm. Sarah's important. This waitress is the m- most important person to the future at this one time, more than it's billionaires or it's um, A-listers or anyone yeah. else in this world. But she is as much important as she is. It's what who she's going to give birth to that's ultimately going to save the day but yeah they wouldn't have been there without her so it's yeah. i'm rambling but you no, i no. think i made a point yeah and do you think james cameron was trying to give like a biblical reference oh most likely i feel like he i feel like he would have snuck that in there somewhere yeah i i don't know if he's particularly uh religious mm. but uh, it seems quite biblical <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah um so let's move on to my choice i chose um the 2018 lords of chaos directed by jonas ackerland it is adapted from the book of the same name and it is kind of um a semi fictional account of the 1990s norwegian black metal scene from the perspective of uh, the mayhem founder euronymous played by rory colkin and it kind of depicts his story of how he began uh, mayhem the death of their first frontman 
funnily called dead um <laughs> <laughs> and how he is then introduced to a fan called christian who then goes on to become known as um varg vikernes of burzum um yes what do you think of lords of chaos i think it's really darn good film which yeah. takes Norwegian black metal and delivers it in a biopic, but not the traditional type of biopic mm. you've, you'd expect. It, mm. I mean, ask, say, any grannies who like Bohemian Rhapsody and Walk the Line to watch this. <laughs> oh, dear me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of biopics, they kind of, a lot of them kind of, although they show like the downfalls of the star or whatever, a lot of them are very positive in their depiction of their subject matter. Whereas Lords of Chaos is very much like, yes, it does give almost a rose tinted view of Euronymous, but it doesn't shy away from the dirty facts of what was actually happening in the black metal scene and particularly surrounding the group mayhem. Um, so what do you think of the horror elements of Lord of Chaos? Well, before I get to horror, horror elements, I think it's very interesting how, from the opening, you have Euronymous giving that voiceover, says like, oh, Norway, it's a country, it's grey, boring, we have high suicide rates. It's, it's ultimately a comedic way of just mm. offsetting you. And I think it sets the tone early on and... So you've got this comedic undercurrent running throughout, and you've also got these human moments, like when Euronymous is seen with his little sister, and mm. they act kind to one another, bonding, but they're just as easily bratty siblings to each mm. other. I think those are absolutely essential, because they make the three, four, the few harsh moments hit so much harder, mm. and they're rightfully as unnerving skin crawling shocking as well as they probably would have been in real life mm. and i think oh and those horror elements good god they yeah. wow they are so exceptionally delivered unnerving and delivered mm -hmm. in such a unflinching matter-of-fact way which yeah. especially makes them feel so much more Oh, unsettling. Mm, I think yeah. it's so well done. Um, what do you think yeah. of them? I mean, like yourself, we see Euronymous kind of, you know, he has this very normal family life and his parents seem quite normal. And, and then he has this interaction with the old frontman of Mayhem Dead who ends up killing himself in... Like, this is completely true. It's, a you know, an actual depiction of what happened. He he kills himself by slitting his wrists, slitting his own throat, and then shooting himself in the head. Um, and Euronymous is the person that finds him. And before alerting any sort of authorities, he goes out and buys a um, one of those throwaway cameras and takes pictures of Dead's, Dead's body. Um and then goes on to use that as uh, album artwork for Mayhem. Um, and it's just such... 
it's such a horrific way because it doesn't seem like a natural human instinct to do that. You know, your first thought wouldn't be, oh shit, let me just get me camera. So he his character seems uncanny from the get-go and that, that makes me quite uncomfortable. Mm. One thing I think is unfortunate is that um it feels like euronymous what he does after that is just a symptom of his inner pain of not being able to grapple with his best friend's suicide he Mm. doesn't know how to deal with it he can't really talk to anyone in his life Mm. he has no way of processing it really so his he sees his only option as continuing continuing forward and using every horrific thing that his bandmates do to build the legacy of his band. And yeah. it's it's unsettling, but also yeah. quite sad in a way. Like mm. maybe if Dead could have seen the therapist, maybe he wouldn't uh maybe he wouldn't have committed suicide. Maybe <laughs> maybe well, Varg, I think it there's a p- beyond help at yeah. honesty. <laughs> but maybe it could have stopped to a point before these murder and mayhem ultimately could have been committed. And it's yeah. just the same shame. They feel trapped in the cycle of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that we see in quite a lot of subcultures um, mm. is this kind of toxic masculinity and that particularly the males have to act a certain way Um, Mm -hmm. to be kind of taken seriously or to get somewhere with their band I guess and like it's funny because I came when I lived I lived in Australia for a little bit and where I lived there there was a big death metal and black metal community as well and even though it wasn't to the extent of the Norwegian black metal community there was Mm -hmm. still this like male alpha bravado um that came from like specific members of bands um, to try and outdo each other. And this is what is portrayed in Lords of Chaos is that they're constantly trying to outdo each other on who can be the most mm. extreme. And it's just this toxic male bravado shit that gets way out of hand um, <laughs> and ends up with the death of several people. Um, and I think that's what led dead to committing suicide. Um, and then obviously we've got all these other off branches of toxic masculinity that involves in like a homophobic murder, uh, misogyny, white supremacy, and ultimately the murder of Euronymous himself mm. by Varg. Um, so one of the themes of the film that I feel they were really kind of, and the book as well, because I've read the book, that I really feel they were thrown, that is typical horror movie fodder, is this theme of Satanism versus the church. Um, Ah. (laughs) How do you think it was portrayed in Lords of Chaos? (laughs) Uh, I think it was interestingly delivered, is as these boys turn to Satanism as a way of, well, let's be honest, um, Varg seems to use it as an outlet to pour his hateful ideas into um euronymous ease uses it as a way to try and become a celebrity to try and promote his band and and it seems like they look to the church to kind of build upon that and to essentially make names for themselves and to generate the 
interest in their band and really make themselves stars, which, mm. which makes it all the more interesting when you've got Varg calling Euronymous essentially an attention-seeking wannabe rock star. And then he has that interview with the journalist when he's essentially trying to be a celebrity, trying to pass himself off as the Count as <laughs> with these three ideologies which the journalist rightfully says is quite a broad circle of beliefs mm. it's really i'm just absolutely here for this film painting this literal nazi as the fucking idiot he truly is yeah and, and then twisting the knife by casting a jewish man in the role of this nazi <laughs> absolutely like i i really like the way that the makers of lords of chaos didn't like uh, i really when it first kind of was coming to terms that they were making this film i was really worried that they would almost like make him out to be this like you know rock and roll god or whatever as a lot of biopics do like we've discussed and so when i saw it and they they basically take the piss out of him um and I was just like, yes, like, yes, do not give him fodder because he is the worst person on earth. It's so funny because they, they're they like, oh, we're safe. I mean, obviously, Varg changes his mind in later years. He's like, oh, I'm not a Satanist. I'm like a white supremacist Viking belief system, whatever mm. shite he's harping on about. Um, but initially, they use Satanism as like a form of being anti-church obviously the church burnings happen they want it as a big fuck you mm. to christianity in norway and kind of a middle finger towards normative norwegian society but what ends up happening is it almost becomes church-like and christian-like belief itself where you've got all these men doing like a pissing contest to see who can be the most satanic and, you know, you've got to act a certain way, otherwise you're not going to be in our little belief system. And it's just such, like, they're such hypocrites. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so would you recommend Lords of Chaos to horror fans? I mean, it's those few moments which make me pause for, take a pause, like, Euronymous death, death at the end is such a tense build up to the murder. Yeah. It lingers on all the little things which are going to have mm. this their place in the oncoming horror, and then it's just this prolonged scene of him panicking because he knows death is at hand while Varg yeah. is murdering him, and it just yeah. turns into that. It reminds me of that scene from The Simpsons of "Stop, stop! He's already dead." And <laughs> it's just it's those small moments which just make me think make, if you have a strong stomach yes but if you're a bit qu queasy at the sight of blood or anything yeah maybe don't because oh boy they it it's quite full-on some of these sequences mm. Mm. would you put lords of chaos in the kind of extreme horror subgenre um possibly i mean mm. I suppose there's varying levels of extreme horror. Like, yeah, yeah, I think s such... It feels so visceral, the response those scenes yeah. could create, and especially feels transgressive and taboo in some ways. Yeah. That 
Yeah, yeah, I think it could be classed as extreme horror. Yeah, I think especially with its handling of Dead's death, mm. it's very taboo. Oh, yeah. And as we know, extreme horror, like you said, handles these kind of subjects. And so, yeah, I'm trying to think. So, you know the iceberg? Oh, yeah. yes. I'm like, I where, would, where would I place it on the iceberg? <laughs> I think, like, one below the surface. I think I'd put it there. Yeah. Yeah, because isn't it, like, the bottom four are just stuff which aren't legal? And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you'd hit the nail on the head there. Mm. Okay, so we're thinking first layer of bottom tier iceberg mm. uh, <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd recommend loads of chaos to horror fans but also people that are interested in like subgenres and subcultures as well especially from like an anthropological point of view mm. um it's a really interesting study um of kind of gender hierarchy and how white supremacy basically starts it's a really good portrayal yeah. of like this is how these kind of people get started, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, out of the two films now, if someone came to him and was like, look, James, I want to watch horror that isn't necessarily classified a horror, but it should be. Out of the two films, which one would you choose over the other to rec- recommend? Um, well, first I'd try and get a feel on what's their level of queasiness because i think the terminator <laughs> is much more accessible and yes. especially compared to Lo- lords of chaos's mm. so yeah i but if i just take that out of the equation and just thinking they haven't seen either of these films they'd be good with either one i'd say the terminator in honesty because mm-hmm. i think that's the film people probably aren't going to think of as horror more yeah. than lords of chaos and I think they, with looking at it with that lens, that's going to be the one which they're probably going to get more out of, and seeing how the horror staged and and if they haven't seen the Terminator, what a great chance to watch it. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of I I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I would recommend the Terminator just because it's a good example of how horror films have influenced other big smash hit Hollywood movies that Mm. other people wouldn't necessarily think of. But if you said to someone, right, go watch The Terminator and think of it in slasher terms, then it's like a really interesting watch for people. And I think Lords of Chaos is quite niche in its... I mean, not extremely so, but I still think it is quite niche in how you would recommend it to people. Mm. Um, You wouldn't be recommending it to like your mum who wants, you know, <laughs> good horror or something. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with The Terminator as well. Um, are there any other films that you can think of that kind of straddle that line between could be horror? I mean, I know we mentioned some a bit earlier, but can you think of any more? Um, first one that comes to mind is um, 12 Years a Slave. Okay. In the, It feels like a very human horror way mm. of depicting depicting the uh, ugliness of man especially yeah. especially in where slavery was concerned and that scene where there's a scene where someone is essentially lynched and it is really horrible to watch in mm. ways which feel horrific and that yeah 
Yeah. I'm trying to think of any, like, obviously we've already mentioned, like, um, like psychological thrillers, like Science of the Lambs is always called like a psychological thriller. Yeah. It's a horror. Uh, Seven is another one mm -hmm. that people kind of think, uh, but Bone Collector, I find like Serial Killer um, and that kind of, um, what do they call it? Oh, you know, where you've got like, it's kind of more on the cops and the de detective kind of uh, procedural. There That's, we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like procedural thrillers like The Bone Collector, like um, Seven. I kind of recommend them as should be horrors because they are horrific. Mm. Like, absolute, especially Seven. Seven always creeps me out no matter how many times I see it. <laughs> mm. Especially the sloth sequence. Yes, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so Coraline. Yes. It's kind of children's horror, yeah. Mm. Definitely. Um, so. Before we go, I always ask my guests, what is your favourite horror film? Well, appropriately enough, um, John Carpenter's classic Halloween is my favourite horror film. That's very good. And why is that? I think it's just a fantastic idea of a show don't tell and how less yeah. truly is more. And it, I think it really builds up that tension and that uneasiness in ways which absolutely pay off in the last act and are just so engrossing to watch yeah. and I've watched it every Halloween I have done for over a decade and I just absolutely love it okay I like I wouldn't be the biggest fan of Halloween I'm gonna admit mm. but I can appreciate it as the one of the OGs you know it's influenced and it's had such a massive legacy and influence on modern day horror um mm -hmm. And even stuff like the Terminator. Um, what do you think of the the new Halloween films that have been coming out? I quite liked the the first one David Gordon Green did. I thought that mm -hmm. was an effective way to bring it back. Halloween mm -hmm. Kills. I was less enamored on. It felt mm -hmm. like a placeholder before they close yeah. off with the third film. But yeah. I'm I'm hoping the third film kind of gives justification for their, this being more than one film yeah. that David Gordon Green's done. I, I hope for the best. At the very least, it can't be worse than some of the entries which came through before them. I mean, yeah. Resurrection, Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, I still have to do a watch-through of all the Halloween films. I've watched up to, like... I did, like, obviously the first three season of the witch obviously isn't a michael myers film but i've watched that and then i've watched like h2o and then i've watched the two newest ones mm -hmm. and i have watched rob zombies remakes um so yeah i think i'm gonna have to do it you know what it's the timeline that confuses me i get very confused yeah. by the timeline it's if they did like a spider-man into the spider-verse multiverse <laughs> kind of film then it would make be a lot more palatable because <laughs> but as it is, it's just a bit of a jumbled mess of a timeline. Yeah, so we're hoping for an Into the Myers verse then. Absolutely. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Josh Hartnett, Daniel Harris, bring them all back, have them kill yeah. so many different Michael Myers. <laughs> Love it. Um, thank you so much, James, for coming on the podcast and chatting about films that should be a horror. Thanks for having me. This was great. 
So that was my chat there with James Rodriguez about films that we feel should be classed a horror, even though they're not necessarily under the umbrella term of horror. So we chatted about 1984's Terminator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, and also 2018 Lords of Chaos, directed by Jonas Ackerland and starring Rory Culkin as Euronymous. So what did you think of this week's episode? And what films do you think should be classed as a horror, even though they're not necessarily a horror? Um, let me know on Facebook and Instagram at what a scream podcast or over on Twitter at what underscore scream. And I'm hoping this week I've been in a bit of a slump recently, so it's been difficult to get anything done. And I'm really hoping to have out another episode this week of movies, murder and mayhem. Um, on the case behind the exorcism of Emily Rose. I did have it all recorded, okay, spooky little side story. I did have it all recorded and I was editing it and there was all these weird noises that kept coming through that obviously weren't there when I was recording. So whether it's gremlins in the in the recording equipment or whether we've got some supernatural things going on, I don't know. But look, listen, hopefully I'll get it done this week. Um, So yes, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to us on. And as always, stay horrific. Goodbye.